0: Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as we have been afflicted for as many years as we have seen trouble. Psalm 90. Friends, welcome to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of November 16th. That psalm felt so appropriate to me this morning, Alan, as the world begins to lock down again. Yes. And friends in foreign countries are sending me texts saying, oh no, here we go. And And then uh, our own staff is reeling because they're shutting the schools back down here in Colorado Springs and sending all the kids home for the rest of the year. And so, dear ones, (laughs) how long, O Lord, how long have compassion on us. Satisfy us with your love that we may sing for joy. We just thought it would be really good to circle back around again here we go again as it appears that quarantine is upon most of us in some form or fashion and may actually be for a time that it would be good to circle back around to caring for our souls, recovering joy. How how, Okay, how are we going to navigate round
1: two? I know my heart needs that. Yes.
0: So friends, we thought that would be helpful this week and I've been watching some of the mental health trends through this, and there was a fascinating article in The Atlantic this summer reporting on some research that was actually done 17 years ago when the first SARS-CoV-1 uh, virus, which was sort of a step-cousin to COVID-19, hit Hong Kong. In three months, it basically, you know, blew up, swept the city killed hundreds of people, and then subsided. It was brutal, but it was short-lived, especially when you compare it to how long the COVID-19 pandemic appears to be carrying on and and the quarantines and restrictions and deprivations that are going along with it. But here here was the fascinating thing. Jacob Stern wrote this article in The Atlantic this summer reporting that over the next four years in Hong Kong, scientists at the Chinese University in Hong Kong discovered something worrisome. More than 40% of SARS survivors had an active psychiatric illness, most commonly PTSD or depression. Some felt frequent psychosomatic pain, others were obsessive compulsive. The findings, the researchers said, were alarming. The idea, Alan, is that every natural disaster carries with it kind of a psychological wallop, you know right. people who lived through Katrina, people who have been you know back in the big earthquakes in. Southern California in the seventies, you know, people remember it and they twitch, you know, there's a right there's a flinch. there's a there is a longer term psychological fallout than we knew. And what I'm concerned for our dear friends is that we take soul care really seriously again in this hour. I think we were. And then summer happened, and for a lot of people, most places, kind of the, you know, the restrictions yes. got lifted, and you could go out and get tacos again, and you could see your friends, and and I think we all sort of dropped
1: our soul care practices. Right, and we were already coming into that in a weary, worn-out state, and then I think once things opened up a little bit, we were all in, because that felt like the antidote, and yet now how are our souls when we're going into what's about to come or is coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. My reaction is, oh, crap. You're right. kidding me. Here we go
1: again. Right. It feels like almost a second tour of duty. And the first one, none of us really knew what to expect. So there was this unknown and newness to it. And now we do know a lot more than we did. And so it's, it's like we're wiser, but we're more weary.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're not coming in with a full tank or, or something closer to it. You know, we're coming in having lived through 2020. Right. And then this summer, you had a bunch of, like, house repairs you had to do, and you guys were in full tilt on other things.
1: Right. Well, it felt like in that window, we wanted to get stuff done that needed to be done. Right. And we knew winter was coming and snow and ice, and so we did a ton of home repairs, which was both helpful— and draining at the same time. Yeah,
0: and there was some frustration and exasperation in it. And and that happened for a lot of folks who tried to take vacations and then couldn't and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, here we are again. So dear ones, our dear friends, we are coming back with words of comfort and words of how do we restore our gladness? As we step back into a quarantine period, which is, frankly, of unknown duration. Now, I know, I know, you know, different governments, you know, I think Ireland's saying, oh, only three more weeks, and England is, is saying something about December, And but we'll see, we'll see. It was fascinating to watch the aerial photos of Paris as France was locking back down. Every single road out of Paris was packed, People were literally fleeing the city. It was like World War II, and I don't blame them. Right? No. People are like, no, not again. Don't do this to me. Right. So, friends, I want to begin with a question, and then we want to offer some counsel. And the question is, well, what did you learn from last time? What did you learn from quarantine round one? What proved helpful to you? What proved absolutely essential. What did you promise you would do, but you didn't do? And and what wore you down? What do you not want to repeat this time? So, Alan, can I ask you,
1: what'd you learn? Well, I learned a lot of things. And i I went into it, John. One of the best things I did was I did try to do it with intentionality. And I think that was because my word for the year that I heard from God was current. And so I've spent 2020 trying to be current mm. in my thoughts and in my day. What am I doing with my presence? What How am I living it with intention? But, man, I'll tell you, I learned a few things. One, I learned what not to do. And that was eight hours of screen time is not the equivalent of an eight-hour in-person workday with people in terms of the... It's not. No. So it was brutal. So I was... On the screen as much or more than I had been at work, but just staring into a laptop all day long, whether it was video conferencing or Zoom calls or whether it was just email, it was so draining. And you have to do some of that because it's the only way to keep meetings going. Yeah, right. But what I learned was I can't sustain that eight hours or more a day and assume it's going to be okay because over time... I was a shell of myself. And you take away people contact and you don't leave your home and, and that's all you've got and it's just not good. There was some research that was
0: explaining Zoom gloom.
1: <laughs> I like to haven't heard that. Name. Yeah, yeah. The,
0: you know, just the online fatigue. And, and it's fascinating because human communication, humane communication it is 90% nonverbal. When when you're with someone, your eyes and your brain, like your retina, is literally communicating to your brain much faster than your ears are. And it's facial expression and it's wow. body language. And, you know, the Christian would also add the spirit of things and presence of God between you. Yes. And when you don't have that, when you're online and you're trying to accomplish work or communication or family catch-up or whatever it is, you know, just connecting with your friends— online, your brain has to make up yes. for that 90%. Wow. It's trying to fill in, click, 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 click. And that's why it's so exhausting.
1: Yeah. that Well, that makes a lot of sense because I didn't understand. I mean, I'm just sitting in a chair all day. I'm not running a marathon, but I was exhausted come 3, 4 yes. o'clock. And I, what I found was, speaking of sensory elements, it is helpful on my desk at home to – I brought in a candle – and played classical music and so I changed the sensory environment in the very space I was in and that was helpful like that helped counter oh that's good because of the tangible nature of some of those things and the smell and the the sound
0: that's good Alan and I were going into what we anticipated to be a pretty long business zoom call yesterday with some some outside clients and I, I just had to brace myself for it. And so I brought in a cup of tea. I brought in some essential oils. Yes. And a big bar of dark chocolate. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this is my plan to survive the next two hours.
1: Well, and John, it was that two-hour Zoom call was taking the place of a one-day in-person meeting. Exactly. And yet the two hours on a Zoom call felt like 10 times the length of a one-day in-person meeting. It just does. So mercy, friends,
0: mercy. What did you learn last time, dear ones? And what do you know you need to do this time?
1: So can I add one more thing? Yeah. How I go to bed and how I get up in the morning, both bookends, had a tremendous impact on my whole day. And so what I mean by that is in the morning, when I got up during the whole COVID lockdown, I learned pretty quickly... I need to slow down. I don't have to be anywhere physically. So I I can breathe a little easier, but I don't want to get on my phone. I want to just breathe. And I want to think about the day and I want to invite God into it. And I want to get up with an expectancy of what he's up to. And Mm -hmm. so that, if I would do that, John, that started before my foot even hit the ground. The day was a different day. And then when I would go to bed, to not bring my phone up uh, and put it on the nightstand, but to leave it somewhere else to read something that was soothing to my soul.
0: And I'm assuming it's not digital.
1: Not digital. You're reading not, an not, never actual digital. book. Physical yes. book. And I would find, uh, whether it was fiction or nonfiction, something that was calming, not... You know, not a political thriller, not a not a,
0: not, <laughs> just, not a suspense
1: novel. Or just political updates. Yes. Right. But to have something where I could go to bed in a peaceful state and in those two things made a big, big difference.
0: That's really helpful. I'm cracking up too because there's an expression in the horse world, never put a horse away wet. Hmm. It's actually not good for them. It's not good for their health. You got to rub them down. You got to, you know, make sure that that they're warm and dry, you know, before you stable them for the night. But what that maxim is trying to communicate is something much more profound, is that the condition that you leave the horse in mentally, you will find it in next time, in the morning or the next day. And so, you know, if you're trying to work with your horse in the arena and things don't go well and the horse is flighty or upset or resistant and you just put him back in the stable like that, that's what you're saying. He's taking his phone to bed. He's watching the news. You yes, know. yes. You're going to find that horse mentally upset in the morning that mm. you want to leave the horse at the end of the day the way you want to find him in the morning. So however That's the good. training goes or the ride went or anything, you have to make sure that the last moments are peaceful, loving, assuring, get him in a good place. And then you'll find them in a good place. So I'm cracking up going, oh, okay, don't put Alan away wet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so tell me, what, what have you learned? What's, what's something that you saw last time that you want to do or not do this time?
0: Well, I think, and I want to get into just to tick off a whole bunch of just little helpful things. Uh, we want the podcast to be helpful to you, but I'll jump towards something I was going to say m- more towards the end. Was For me, it was routine. I have to establish a routine and stick to it because the natural condition of human nature, not to mention just the universe, is entropy.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> things don't naturally go <laughs> towards organization. <laughs> uh, they, no. Things kind of tend to collapse, or sort of like a pear, you know? Like a pear? Pears are so hard <laughs> to eat because you get them at the store and they're hard. And you're waiting for that moment when it's ripe, but it seems like that moment is, is about 25 seconds. <laughs> and you turn your back on a pear and you come, you, you know, you walk into the kitchen an hour later and it's just blah. <laughs> it's that.
1: That's, that's It cracks me up. Yeah, yeah. so that's, okay.
0: that's human nature. And, and, you know, over time, we all, come on, we, all, we yeah. all entered into it with vim and verve and commitment and resolve. And, you know, by about the ninth week, you know
1: that was out the window. Well, most people's yeah.
0: routines were completely out the window and yeah. we were binge watching Netflix and eating, you know, way too much junk food and yes. We don't we weren't making dinner, for example. I think making dinner is a real important thing, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So, here's what we want to offer is some very practical steps, dear ones. How how are you going to live well now? How are you going to take care of yourself now? How are you going to maintain your life with God? How are you going to care for your beautiful soul, your beautiful, beleaguered, besieged soul in this hour? Yes. So just some very simple things that make enormous difference. Get off the news. Get off mm. the news. Get off social media. Alan, there is not one single study, not one, that demonstrates the increase of joy or positivity yes. in connection with an increase of news intake or social media.
1: I believe it. There's not one. I believe it. All of the
0: studies are in the yeah. exact opposite direction that, you know, the alarming thing is the direct correlation now. Dozens of studies now showing the direct correlation of rising anxiety rates and rising depression, with your consumption of social media.
1: Well, think about it, but in both news and social media, the goal of those organizations is to keep you watching. Yeah. Not to have you watch a few minutes and tune them out. And the way to keep you watching is to keep the adrenaline flow going. Of wait, there's more. Late breaking yeah. now yeah. here. Yeah. And it's it's very unkind to the soul.
0: Yeah, it is. And and so when I look back at What did I do well in the spring that I did not do well this fall was to limit my news intake. At at first in the spring, you know, we were all hanging on the news. My goodness, we didn't know what's happening. The pandemic's sweeping the globe. And, you know, we can see millions. Is it going to be bodies in the streets? What's this going to... And so we were all glued to way too much news. Yes. And then I began to realize, I actually don't need to know what's taking place with... COVID-19 in every single country in the world. I just don't need to know that. It's not kind to my soul. So I began to back it off, and, and I really limited mm-hmm. myself to five minutes a day. Just give me the basics. Just get in, get the essentials, and get out. And I did not <laughs> I did not practice that this fall. I, I was way too dialed into the news, and I could see the impact on me. Even when I get in my car to leave work here, right. I have a choice. Right, and normally it has been for me this fall. Grab the news, right. but instead, you know, it's turn on
1: worship. Well, and, and we want to be informed, and we need to be informed. But I think what you're naming, John, is there's a difference between the sense of immediacy. I have to know the very next second of what's happening. That immediacy and the eternal. And I know the more I turn my focus to the eternal, to worship, like you're saying, to to just a walk around the block or what, to meditate, I find myself in a much better place for whatever's going on. Like I, I'm a better man because of that than I am glued to the news.
0: Yeah, so point number one, friends, limit your screen time. There's not one single study, not one bit of research, no one you can talk to, that will tell you that by increasing your screen time, your joy is going to go up, your happiness is going to go up, your well-being, your connection to God, your sense of belovedness, your sense of security, your sense that God is still at work in the world. So with that, point number two, benevolent detachment. And we're going to keep sounding that chime as often as we can in the years ahead that the practice of 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares. He cares for you. And Jesus' invitation, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so there really is an invitation to letting it go, laying it down, including the very epicenter of the things you're in, the quarantine, you know, all of this, the pandemic, the politics or whatever, laying it down, laying it down, letting it go. And there's boatloads of research Mm. that shows that that is super good for the soul and, and for mental health, frankly, and for resiliency.
1: And when you talk about benevolent detachment, you talk about releasing everyone and everything. So... Will you just spend another minute on it's not just detaching from the news or from Mm. world events, Mm -hmm. but even your own world right?
0: Exactly, Alan. And this was the thing that I found fascinating. Why do I keep getting sucked back into the black hole? And it actually has to do with our good hearts. It has to do with our compassion, our care, our concern that you start worrying about your aging parents, you start worrying about your kids. Oh no, what are we going to do with school? And and if your schools, you know, are still doing in-person learning or partly some schools are, you know, doing a couple days a week and you're wondering, how long is that going to last? Like it's often out of genuine care that we end up carrying way too much. Right. And so a couple times a day, I give everyone and everything to you, God. And I linger with that for a few moments. It's not just something I say. You just go, okay, you know, I love you. <laughs> when you say to your spouse when you're actually really aggravated with them, it's not, it's not just words. I give everyone and everything to you. It is a conscious, intentional, and I'll watch. I'll kind of watch my stress level. I'll pay attention to my thoughts. I'll pay attention to my body because as I genuinely begin to do that, I can feel the tension begin yes. to leave my shoulders I can feel my heart begin to breathe a little more lightly and easily. So, Lord, I give everyone and everything to you. And speaking of routine, twice a day here at the outpost, monastery bells ring out 10 and 2 every day for us to practice the pause. Mm -hmm. But what we're primarily doing with the pause is we are resetting. It's a reset. So, pause, the day has already got you spun up. The world has already got you spun up. Coming into this podcast this morning, I read an email I should not have read. <laughs> totally got me spun up. And and so it's a reset. You pause a couple times a day and just say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And then you'll find it helpful to be very specific. I give my kids to you. I give what school's going to do to you. I give my frustration with my government to you. I give my frustration, yes. you know, whatever the particulars are. And you'll find this really helpful speaking of don't put the horse away wet, don't put Alan away wet. (laughs) Bedtime is a really good time to do this, gang. Like you want to sleep well, part of our bedtime prayers include very intentional naming specifics, benevolent attachment.
1: And it's so good because when you're going to bed, you're not going to be able to solve those issues anyway, and so you have the choice to release it, trust God, and try to sleep well or worry about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so get off the news and social media, limit your screen time as much as you can. If you are on screens because of work, and most people are, you have to moderate that with some of the other practices that, that we're about to describe, you know, points number three and four, beauty and nature. You know, the candle, the music, you know, getting beauty back into yes. your life, being intentional about that because we are limited. And again, the restrictions are different around the world. You know, my friends in Dublin, they're not supposed to go more than five kilometers from their house. You know, friends in England can go farther, but they can only see one person. You can only, you can only interact with one other okay. person, but you can take a walk. And so that's the good news, right? You can get outside, you yes. can take a walk, you can, you can get beauty into your life. And we've actually begun to really tap into the power of beauty here as a team during some of our staff prayer. Every Tuesday morning is, is a staff prayer time or during other meetings. And what I've begun to bring in beautiful music to just help our hearts practice, you know, letting it go recentering in Christ and just letting the healing power of beauty do its wonderful thing. That is from the vocal ensemble Voces Eight, a British group from their album Lux. But it, can you can just feel it, oh, friends?
1: My heart slowed down just in that short amount of time. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And sort of get get wow. beauty into your life. Listen to beautiful music. In fact, I was reading a fascinating book called Music Ophelia by Oliver Sachs, the neurologist who's done some really interesting research on brain trauma, people who are in severe dementia, and the power of music to heal and to access places in the brain. And some of his patients are people so deep into brain trauma or Alzheimer's, late stage Alzheimer's and dementia, that they are unable to function But music wakes them up. And people who have not spoken will start singing hymns that they remember from their childhood. It's the most beautiful thing. It's so cool. And Mm -hmm. and what Sachs and other neurologists have found is that whereas memory is located, you know, primarily in one place in the brain, and our fear responses, you know, are located primarily in one place in the brain, music draws upon. Various, They can't find where it's located. They can't point to a place and go, oh, that's the place of music. It actually draws up upon multiple faculties from different regions in your brain. And that's why it's so integrating. And I use that word integration very importantly right now because what the world is doing is fragmenting us. Screen time fragments you. You know, The constant barrage of news and information fragments you. Just being wiped out and then being asked to continue to perform, it's very fragmenting. And so the power of beautiful music and particularly classical music to reintegrate your brain. And then the power of nature, the power of beauty and the power of the real world. The one thing that was the central saving grace of quarantine one for me was the daily walk. And it was either morning or evening. We've got a couple golden retrievers, so it was take the dogs. And it wasn't two hours, and it wasn't in, you know, beautiful mountain lakes and, you know, idyllic settings. Yes. We live in the suburbs. We, but, you know, most suburbs, most cities still have parks, and they have green spaces. They have somewhere you can get to. Yes. And we would walk to a green space and walk the dogs, and it was so, Wonderful to just have reality again. Yes. Oh, it's a little cool this morning. I feel the I feel the coolness on my face. Oh, there's a light there's a light frost today on the grass or whatever it is. Yes. Wow, the sunrise is really red this morning. It was so healing to be out every day in nature.
1: Yeah, and I think even in the winter that's like, it doesn't have to be a sunny day. It can just be, I mean, even feeling the cold or the snow, you know, is is better than being stuck in an artificial environment all day, right?
0: Yeah, don't, don't go pear and, <laughs> and, and
1: just never go back
0: outside. Like, you're going to need to make some decisions. And it's fascinating because on the nature piece, everyone I've asked the question, what was most helpful to you in quarantine one, every single person, whatever else they said, said, get outside. And it was their balcony, their front porch, the roof of their building, you know, was getting to the park, taking a walk down the streets. So we're reminding you, friends, of things that bring life. And, And the thing about nature and walking, the importance of your body in this, during yesterday's to our Zoom meeting, which actually went really well. It it ended up being very life-giving because we did some intentional things to make it so, Mm. like playing beautiful music during it. About every 35 minutes, I would stop the meeting and say, okay, everybody, stand up, move around, get out of your chairs, wherever you are, stand up, move around, walk outside, like get your body moving.
1: Which honestly, when we were in the meeting, felt initially disruptive to me. like It was like, come on, John, we're, like, we're making progress. What are you breaking up the meeting for? And then after we came back from those, which was only a few minutes, like you said, I realized, man, I'm in a whole different, better place yes. than just three minutes before.
0: You got to move your body, gang. Yes. And I was chatting with another podcaster who shared with me an interesting piece of research out of Stanford that when you walk, simply walking, your brain releases all those positive joy chemicals like serotonin because your brain thinks you're making progress. That To literally take a step forward and then another step and another step is a delightful thing to your brain. Your brain's happy about Mm -hmm. that because you're making progress. You're headed somewhere. And so it releases joyful chemicals. So get your body moving, hopefully outside.
1: Yeah, and what I've noticed with my youngest son, when he is at home studying or feeling a little bit of stress with school or or just tension from everything because he's, their school is shut down and he's been home, what I've noticed is if I can get him dribbling a basketball in the house, even if we can't go outside, or throwing a racquetball or anything with a ball physically yes. for three, four minutes, his smile comes back. And he's in a whole new place. And so, you know, those are like micro things we can all do. And for him, just the rhythm, he loves basketball, but the rhythm and the touch of a ball and passing it and throwing it and laughing, Mm -hmm. four minutes, Yep, he's a new person.
0: Oh, it's so good. That's so good. And gang, there's so much more to these practices laid out in the book, Get Your Life Back. So if you didn't get a chance to read that in quarantine one, now would be a really great time. Or if you did and it brought you life, but you've forgotten some of that, right? go back and
1: get it again. And, and you don't have to just read it. Like you can experience it. We've got a phenomenal video series and six parts. And it's a way for you with a group or if you want to by yourself, just to to watch the teaching. But it also has these really cool exercises or activities you can do to get into nature, to let go of your phone or technology for a little bit. So I would encourage you just, it's available online, it's easy to find, but go through the video series by yourself or with a group and I think you'll, you'll come out a different person.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These really are rescues. They're life-giving in this hour. And I would add, especially now, prayer and worship because we're not just talking about, quote, mindfulness, Uh, that's a popular secular term even. We're not just talking about body care or even soul care. What these things do is they restore our union with God. And I have found myself turning in recent days to that Ephesians 3 prayer where Paul prays that the Father would strengthen us with a glorious inner strength by the power of his Spirit within us, so that Christ may fill our hearts. We need to be strengthened. We need God desperately. So, prayer. And there are some beautiful, beautiful prayers on our app, the Wild at Heart app. There's a bedtime prayer. Of course, there's several versions of the daily prayer. What is your routine for prayer here in quarantine too?
1: Well, and John, in... in In terms of prayer, one of the things I learned in the last quarantine is sometimes I would be going to bed so worn out and weary that even the thought of a long prayer felt too much. So what I would do at night, and it was super effective on those nights, was just lay my head down and just say Jesus over and over and over. Mm. And it was this balm. And I might say it a hundred times before I fell asleep. yeah. But it was just the repetition and remembrance of who he was. So when you say prayer, I mean, there there are all kinds of ways we can pray. But on the days you feel like and nights you don't have any words, that for me was a rescue. Jesus. Yeah, that's so good.
0: Prayer and worship and a confession about the worship side of things, I normally don't want to particularly in the evening, particularly like you're saying, end of the day, you're dragging. But I know we need it, and the reason that we need it goes way beyond quarantine. We're not just talking about the fact that the kids are back home if you have children and now you're trying to figure out school online or all of your work is online now and you do have to spend your day on screens. Friends, there are forces in the world right now that are out to ravage the human race. Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we need worship, playing in our homes, playing in our cars, playing on our headphones perhaps as we get on the treadmill or go for a run because the power of worship to push back the darkness is so wonderful and so effective. And I was confessing that most of the time I don't want to. I just want to veg. I want to go pear. I just want to <laughs> blah. Just want to sit in front of Netflix or, you know, veg out. But yeah. every single time, I have never, ever, ever regretted turning on worship. And the power of good worship to turn your heart to God, to remind you of the truth. You know, we will not be shaken. You will never leave me or forsake me. Was One of the choruses that I was listening to this morning was, you've never abandoned me. And I didn't know that I needed to hear that, Hmm. but I needed to hear that. And as it repeated it, you have never abandoned me, God. It's like, okay, okay, right, right, right. And the demons don't like it, and the darkness does not like worship music. So having it playing in the background, playing it in your car, having it in your house is really helpful. That's good. Because we are in a time of intensity on the earth. And what we're trying to do through these practices is grow strong. Therefore, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, how do we tap into that through these things? That's really good. Yeah. And as we wind down here, let me just add again the power of routine. So the routine of your screen time, the routine of benevolent attachment, the routine of beauty in your day. Build a routine that is sustainable for you. Yes. Because it's in the power of the routine. And Okay, so speaking of Netflix binging you know, everybody's been looking for something to watch and, hey, what's the new series and what can we tap into now? Uh, Stacey and I have been enjoying the season six of the Alone series. So it's a History Channel thing and Netflix picked up their season six. But basically it's survival experts going out alone and it's a competition. There's 10 of them and it's, you know, kind of process of elimination. Um, and they go into the wild for really long periods of time and and incredibly demanding scenarios. And it's fascinating to watch who is in like the final three or the final four. And one of the common denominators I was noticing was they had something to do. They would occupy themselves. They wouldn't just sit around thinking about how lonely they were or how cold it was. They would do stuff, build a bed, fix their shelter, you know, go out and hunt rabbits or whatever. And it made me realize, yeah, right, during quarantine one, the things that brought me life were projects. Yes. Simple, doing a puzzle. Yeah. Bigger, painting a room, Mm -hmm. right? Or even just the joy of daily cooking. Yes. Because you don't want to cook. You just want to get takeout or just eat cereal, (laughs) for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And maybe that's just a very guy thing, but I'm there.
1: But you know what what we did, puzzles are great and we do puzzles, but I found it was a joy bomb to bring home a Lego set. Yes. And and even in our family like my daughter who wouldn't normally do Legos, there's an interest when you put all these brightly colored things on the table and go, "We're going to build this tonight." Yes. So,
0: you're talking about I, your 18-year-old teenage daughter Right. Right. And suddenly she's into Legos. She would have
1: never bought it or asked for it. But that's the kind of joy I think we can do as families in these times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, gang, let me say this the battle in this hour is going to be for hope and for belief. Mm -hmm. The battle will be for hope. Are you, you know, are you beginning to feel hopeless? And for belief, particularly the belief that God is good. And that he has good coming for us. And if you are worn out, if you are cooked by screens and stressed by news, you will be more easily taken out Mm -hmm. in the battle for hope and belief. And so we're gonna say a whole lot more about hope and belief in the months ahead. But the point of this is as we take care of our souls and if we're strong in our union with God. We're going to be in a lot better place to uh, fight the fight for hope and belief. So let me close with a story. Our dear buddy Craig and I met in the 1970s over a passion for backpacking. And we would go backpacking up in the high Sierras of California, the eastern Sierras. So on the, you know, Bishop side of things. And there was one pass that we absolutely hated, Kearsarge Pass. Because Kearsarge Pass is this long, long haul uphill into the high country, and it has a false summit. And you've been dragging all day, and you're absolutely wiped, and you get up to this crest, and you are certain you're there, man. This is the pass. And then you look ahead. And the pass is like oh, another oh, oh. two miles and 1,500 feet. I mean, you can see uh-huh. it up there looming. That's quarantine too. Like we thought we were yeah. through it. Wow. We thought we were done. And now we're like, wait, wait, wait. we got to do this all over again? And what helped us, right, with Kira SARS is to, you double down. You double down. You go, okay, all right. Well, this is the new challenge. Thought we were done. We're not done. We can do this. We can do this, and we can do this together, friends. And we want to walk together in these days ahead, particularly in the battle for hope and belief, and in the care of your soul and of our union with God.